six weeks ago today, our Simchas Torah dancing was interrupted by sirens. Slowly but surely, our sons, our brothers, the men of our community were pulled away from the dance floor, from our homes, to go, who knew where? Six weeks ago, tonight, on Motzei Shabbos, all of us came home, we made Havdalah, and we all did the exact same thing. We turned on our phones, and we thought that we learned of the devastation that was beyond our wildest imagination. Only to find out in the days that followed that it was much worse than we originally thought right after Yantif. I recall audibly gasping in my kitchen when I heard the figures that Motzei Shabbat. 200 killed, they were reporting that night. 40 kidnapped, they were reporting that night. What would we give to go back to that moment? Since then, all that has happened is the numbers have grown, the stories have gotten worse, and the articles, and yes, the videos that all of us have seen have shocked us beyond anything that we ever had imagined in our darkest nightmares. Since then, we've also seen the explosion of overt anti-Semitism, the likes of which anyone my age or younger has never seen before in the Western world. Perhaps, perhaps it was always there, but the overt, unabashed anti-Semitism has been shocking and yet another knife to the heart, another cut, another source of pain. Support from some governments has been strong, and even from those starting to waver. Other governments didn't even bother to disappoint us. They just went right for the side of evil. The media on the main ranges from explicit, overt anti-Semitism, yes, I mean you, the BBC, <laughs> to moderate, passive-aggressive anti-Semitism. You know the methods and techniques. Some are asking. The other side claims. We just want to be fair and hear both sides. As a result... If we could add yet one more insult to injury, turn the knife yet one more time, Israel has been forced to do something so grotesque as to have movie screenings, not only here but around the world, so that maybe, maybe some politicians and some sources in the media might actually believe that we're not making this up. As if we could have imagined as if we could have made up stories of beheading, of rape, of burning children alive, etc., etc. Since apparently we might have made that up, 
We have to debase ourselves and to debase the human dignity of those who were killed and show the world. And now maybe some of them will believe it. Hashem Yerachim. The unspeakable pain, the unbelievable shock, the unimaginable horror of the last six weeks. Our hearts are broken. And yet, and yet, throughout the pain, through the pain, we have discovered that the million cracks in the collective Jewish heart have allowed the light and the love to shine forth. It is these very cracks in our broken heart that has allowed the light in. And slowly but surely, the light is banishing the darkness that has so enveloped us over these last six weeks. The Nitziv, in his commentary to our Parsha, comments on the famine encountered by Yitzhak Avinu, that we only truly appreciate the Almighty's hashkacha, his role in our lives, in times of crisis. And we have witnessed that as a nation. Who among us has not been uplifted by the countless videos, pictures, and stories of non-religious soldiers embracing not only tzitzis and tefillin, but generally a more positive connection to Yiddishkeit and Jewish identity. These are not just stories. I can tell you from my work in Salash and my visits to soldiers, I've been as north as three kilometers from the Lebanon border, completely evacuated, just me and the soldiers. And just this week, I was in a kibbutz, Magain, right near Ba'eri, again, completely evacuated, just people like me and the soldiers. And from north to south, I can tell you I have seen this awakening of the Jewish neshama, even among soldiers who six weeks ago wouldn't have imagined that these things would have been of interest to them. One of the first projects that we started after the war with Salash, one of our first projects, was a tik lichima in tziud ruchani. You know those huge backpacks that in better times our kids use on tiulim, or when they're in the army, they you know, take two weeks at a time in the backpack? So we bought a hundred custom-made bags like this and filled each and every one of them with over 40 pounds, over 40 pounds each bag of tziud ruchani. One of the rabbis in the army who I brought this to referred to this as a mini Beit Knesset. We have tefillin and tzitzis and tens of, pair, tens of pairs of tzitzis. Tividaniyot, chamishi chumshay Torah, small paperback, sifrei chizuk, mishnayis, tehillim, sidurim, nusuch svard, nusuch erut mizrach, nusuch ashkenaz. Everything a machlaka could want. And when I go around and giving these out, it's not just the beinishim. It's not just the boys from your community and my community who are asking for them. On one of my recent trips up north, I was with one of the Rav Beit Knesset, what Rav Tzvai, excuse me, and he took me to a particular group. We went to four different groups on that trip, but one of them 
was on the outskirts of a certain village, and they are the Todchanim, they are the ones who, every now and then when the army takes the gloves off and wants to fire a few rockets back at Lebanon, that was them. Just for the record, I saw nothing action. No, no false uh, bravery here. I would have been happy to. I was kind of hoping. You should want to fire just one? I got my camera ready. Where I was, well, the day I was there was actually quiet. But the Rav says to me as we went to this group, when I got there, again, it was quiet. They were sitting off to the side in some shade, smoking, playing cards. He says to me, you should just know, this is a bunch of arson. <laughs> Golani. So I said to him, I, he knew why I was there. He said, I said, are you sure they're going to want what we're bringing? He says, Taminli, Atatira. And of course, the tzitzis that I helped them put on, they weren't even wearing shirts when I got there, some of them. <laughs> but they were wearing tzitzis now. I helped someone put on tefillin over his tattoo. And there was one of the fellows, I was embarrassed, one of the fellows asked me, Yeshlacha Tvidanit? Do you have one of those hard carrying cases? So, in a nice kind of awkward way, I was trying to say, we only put a few of them in each bag. I said, um, you know, in a nice way, uh, this is kind of for people who uh, uh, wear tilling every day. I'm crazy. Okay. So of course I gave him one. And a few minutes later, as I was talking to some of the soldiers, I noticed that he had already gone back to where they, they were. There was no base. They were sleeping literally in tents. The kind of things that you, when you pretend that you're Israeli and you go on a tiul with your kids, you have a tent. They actually were sleeping in them. And he went back to his tent, and I saw he had come back with his quote-unquote proper talis and tefillin bag. And he was transferring it to the tefillinit. So this awakening that we're seeing is real. I've seen it with my, with my own eyes. And it's not just soldiers. Jews around the world and throughout the country are awakening with a Jewish pride that they didn't have. They're awakening with a connection even to, mit- to mitzvot. About a week or so ago on social media, I saw a post from somebody named Neely. I can't be sure. I think she's an expat Israeli who now lives in England. But I'm not assuming. I'm telling you what she wrote. Quote, Hello, my fellow secular Jews. Hello, my fellow secular Jews. That's the opening of her post. Do you feel this urge to be more religious? I don't know why, but I feel like I want to. I've already started lighting Shabbat candles, which I didn't used to do unless it was a holiday. Kahena v'chahena. There are so many examples. The Jewish heart has been broken, but the cracks are letting the light in. Why do you think that is? I've been thinking about this a lot. Why is this happening? How do we understand this? So in part, one could say, and I think it would be correct, Certainly when it comes to the soldiers, some of it is fear. In a contemporary manifestation of the age-old adage, there is no atheist in a foxhole. And that's true. But it's not only that. It's also not only that the overt and disgusting expressions of of anti-Semitism, at least for some Jews, have been clarifying. And they've been reminded in ways that they never were before who they really are. I think that's also true. 
But I think there's a third point, and especially here I'm talking about the soldiers, who I work with most closely. And that is because I think that when you're being moser nefesh for your fellow Jew, that has to lead to Avas Yisrael. <clears throat> Chazal and Derech Eretz Zuta make the point that if you want to be Davek in Avas Chavercha, have a nosein v'nosein betovaso. You want to love your fellow Jews, said Chazal? Do something for them. Well, let me tell you, when you're willing to die for someone who you previously never knew, who you never agreed with, who perhaps even six or seven weeks ago you thought you hated, when you're willing to put your life in the hands of someone who two months ago you wouldn't even have talked to, that leads to Avas Yisrael. It has to. Step one. But step two, which is so powerful and we're seeing it. And this has been mentioned in various contexts by great thinkers as varied as the Baal Shem Tov and Rabbi Hanan Wasserman. And that is that Avas Yisrael, which I think the mysterious nefesh of the soldiers is engendering in each and one of them, as I mentioned, but that Avas Yisrael, which is, they're on fire with it. Avas Yisrael leads to Avas Hashem. Or as in the words of the Baal Shem Tov, Havas Yisrael Hishar Harishon Hamovil Elchat Seirot Beit Hashem. And if you think about it, it's actually quite intuitive. The more you love someone's children, the more you admire them, the closer you feel for them, the more you do for them, the more you respect them, the more you love them, it's only natural that you will feel that way about their parents. Every one of us have had this experience on a much less extreme level when we have people who we love from the community, people who we met because we happen to move to the same neighborhood. And the first time you met so-and-so's parents who are visiting from wherever, there's an automatic affinity. Because that's the mother or the father, this wonderful person, my best friend, my neighbor, who I love. So of course I must love their parent. I think that's what's happening with the soldiers. The Messiris Nefesh is bringing them to a love of their fellow Jew, and their love of their fellow Jews is bringing them, each on their own level, to a love of Hashem. But I want to go further. It's not just them, the secular Jews, them, Kalal Yisrael, them, they, uh, the soldiers. It's been true for me as well. My heart has also been broken. I'm broken. I've been scared. I've been sad. I've cried. And yet I can say without a doubt that my broken heart has also let the light in. And over time, the sadness, the anger about what has happened, which still remain, but it's been overwhelmed by light and by love and by pride. And slowly but surely, I've been aware of something more clearly than I ever previously realized. I am in love with the Jewish people. In my whole life, 
I have never been as proud to be a Jew as I have been the last six weeks. I'm so in love with the resilience of the Jewish people. It's an idea which I've always been attracted to. I've actually spoken about in many different contexts. But I never felt it like I felt it over the last six weeks. According to the Ger Rebbe, the Beis Yisrael, it goes back to the origins of our name. When did we get the name Yisrael? In a little few weeks. Parshas Vayishlach, when Yaakov fights with the angel, Saro Shalesov. And what does the Pasuk say when it changes his name? You're going to get the name Yisrael. Why? Ki sarisa imelokim v'adam v'tuchal. You struggled with this man, with this angel, with God, and you prevailed, v'tuchal. Asks the Ger Rebbe, I don't understand. If that Pasuk and that event, that episode is the source of his name change, what's the big deal about the Pasuk? What's the compliment of Yaakov in the Pasuk? Presumably, v'tuchal, we should be the Tuchalites. Only problem, of course, is in elementary school when they wanted to give him a nickname, Tuchi, it wouldn't have worked so well. Why Yisrael? Because Kisarisa. Says the base Yisrael. Because whether or not we're Tuchal, whether or not we're going to prevail, that's not necessarily in our hands. But what it means to be a Jew is Kisarisa. Is to fight, to fight, to fight, and to never give up. Said the Beis Yisrael, who knows how many times Yaakov was knocked down on that fateful night. But he never stayed down. And at some point, Sarah Shalei says, how do you defeat someone who never gives up? That's the Jewish people, said the Beis Yisrael of Ger. We are Yisrael because no matter how many times we got, get knocked down, we never stay down. We get back up and we keep on fighting until eventually, eventually, we will prevail. But the essence of the Jewish people is our resiliency. A lot of times in my home office when I've been working over the last few weeks, I keep on listening to the same song. Since I've been a little kid, my parents never believed me. They didn't think I was really doing homework. But I always prefer to work or to learn if I'm by myself with some background music. So in particular, the last few weeks, the song that I've probably been playing the most on my playlist has actually been a a cappella song, a vocali, which I usually only listen to two times a year. But I've been drawn to this particular song time and again. It's a stunning song from Benny Friedman. And it's called A Yid. And the first part of the chorus, which I hum and I sing over and over to myself, because a yid never breaks, a yid never bends, and a yid never gives up in the night. A yid perseveres through the deepest despairs. His amuna strengthens him for the fight. I'm not going to sing it to you. Trust me, I'm doing you a favor. But you should find it on Spotify or YouTube or wherever. It's a stunning, stunning song.
And the music is as beautiful as the words. Or the non-music, whatever it is going on there. Gorgeous, gorgeous song. But that's what it means to be a Jew. What a people. What a nation. What a country. And this truly has been the blessing of a broken heart. Because now more than ever, I realize who I love. I love the Jewish people. I love all of them. Every one of them. Not just the abstract idea of Klal Yisrael or the resilience. But Jews of individuals, Jews who I've never met before, and Jews who if you would have asked me a few weeks ago, I would have assumed I had nothing in common with and couldn't agree with about anything. But every video, every post, every article, I've learned something new. And I've learned about a new Jew and another Jew who I so truly and deeply love. Who do I love? I love Yehuda Hershkovitz. Hashem Yimkom Damo was a principal in the Pelech school in Yerushalayim. Before that, SAR. I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure I would never have sent my kids to his school. And now I couldn't care less. What a person. What an educator. What a message he left his Talmidim and to all of us just a short while before he was killed, about Abbas Yisrael, but not speaking Lashon Hara. How powerful. I love him. I love every soldier that I've met on the front lines. Every hug. I'm a hugger. And I've hugged so many. As it so happens, my last hug, turns out I asked the guy his name afterwards, he said, Yusef. He's a Sam God down on the Otef, but he is Druze. And he said to me, Yusuf, come on, Yosef Hatzadik. <laughs> I love him too. I love Shaul Amsterdamski. He is a, as far as I could tell, completely secular journalist who a few years ago did a fellowship at Harvard and sent out a viral video where he powerfully stated, I would rather run to the bomb shelter a thousand times in my country than to fear for my life in Harvard Yard. I love him. I love Aryeh Burstein, a Haredi from Migdal HaEmek, who came to my house Thursday night because he wants to volunteer for Tzalash. And he heard that we have so many things to give away and go to bases, but almost all of our staff, almost our entire tzevet, is meguyas. I'm an oleh, I'm 50. They didn't want me. But the rest of our staff is relatively young and Israeli. And from the first day, we are a skeletal staff at a time we are busiest than any time in our 10-year history. So we're doing our best to go to every base and to visit soldiers, but we need volunteers. And this fellow from Migdal Amek heard, and he came to my house to pick up one of those spiritual backpacks, one of those teats, and to bring, take Svarim to bring the soldiers in the north. I love him. We have a division as part of Tzalash before the war, and it's of course very active now, called Eishes Chayel, to help the wives of soldiers. You get it? Eishes Chayel, Eishet Chayel. We're good like that. 
So before the war, we were by far the biggest, maybe even the only organization taking care of that population as a specific group. We were being malavev, somewhere between 350 and 400 women and young couples whose husbands are in Sadir and in the army. Starting on that Sunday six weeks ago when we opened up the WhatsApp groups for all the Milwimnikim, we now have almost 3,800 women who have joined our programs. And every night we're giving them Zoom Shurim. We just launched this week a division, a program called Ma'agalim, where we're offering virtual group therapy with expert therapists over Zoom for free. And in case it's relevant to anyone here, we're just now launching a special group for mothers of soldiers. The first 10 of those actually already met in their group therapy last week. These Neshot Chayol, these unbelievable women, one of whom is my daughter, and she's not even on our 3,800 uh, list, because who could be part of their Abba's organization? You understand your parents. I love these women. Every one of them. They're incredible. I love Elon Levy. He's one of the government's spokesmen who's all over social media and the news. I think he's amazing. I don't know if he's helping at all, but that's not because he's not amazing. He's amazing. And it's not just the accent. He's articulate, he's fast on his feet, he's persuasive, and he goes into the lion's den of MSNBC and BBC. He's incredible. I don't know anything else about him. I never heard of him until a few weeks ago. I love him. I'm not exaggerating, and I'm not using a figure of speech. I love Elon Levy. I love Rachel Edry. You know, she's the one who saved her own life with the cookies. I really, if anyone could help me, hook me up with some cookies, I would love to taste them. But even before, I love her. I don't know if I would have known that about myself six weeks ago, but I know it now. I love Tzvika Berg and his chevra from Harnof. Just the other day, week, I mentioned I was literally down at Magain, right near Be'eri. We did a barbecue for almost 400 soldiers. And one way or another, we got to Tzvika Berg and his gang of volunteers, all of whom are from Harnof, all of whom identify as Haredi, and at least four times a week for the last six weeks, they've been doing barbecues for soldiers. They don't take a penny more than cost. They spent hours, two hours down south, two hours back home, and four hours with me on the base, all volunteering because, as they said, we felt we need to do something. I love Zikaberg. I love... Margalit Magidish, the mother of the soldier who was thankfully rescued and who taught the world something about a relationship with Hashem, something about Abbas Hashem that none of us could have imagined. In her famous inimitable words as she was taking challah, Borei Olam, Ani Ohevet Otcha. And I love that Chaver Knesset. I don't even know her name. But I, lo- I don't need to know her name. That's the point. <laughs> I love that Chaver Knesset who used four minutes of her time speaking in the Knesset to make Margalit and her message of Avas Hashem famous for the world. 
Who among us isn't jealous of that schus? I love both of them. I love Steve from Seattle. Steve, who I just met last week, this is late 60s, very successful businessman and philanthropist, who is, as far as I could tell, in our polite conversation, I couldn't ask too many questions, as far as I could tell, he's very far away from organized religion, even from organized federation life. But he's a Jew. He's a proud Jew. And on his own, without any fanfare, or without any organization, and without any photo op, he decided to come to Israel for eight days just to see what he could do to help. And one thing led to another. And last Tuesday, I got a phone call. Someone who knew about my work with Salash said, I think you would like him. I think he would like you. Is there any way you could bring him to an army base? And he came with me down south. And he stole the show. The soldiers were in love with him. Steve, Steve, Steve. <laughs> I explained to him, Yeshi Hudi me Seattle. Mishu Mekir, Maza Seattle. It's phone, Marav, Arsotabrit, Los Angeles. Yoter Tzafon. Lo Yoter Marav, Yafshar. They showered him with love. And Kemayim Panim al Panim. From group to group, we went to the different groups in this huge sprawling area where we met the soldiers. Each time I would ask him to speak. He was nervous at first, but then he got right comfortable. And he talked about what it means to be a Jew, how happy he was to be with them, how anti-Semitism, even in Seattle where there's plenty, is not going to break them. And you have our back, and, I, and we have your back. It's an incredible experience. He texted me late that night, even before he went to sleep. Thank you, Rabbi Gottlieb. Forgive me one of the best nights of my life. I love Steve. These are just a few examples, at least for me, over the last few weeks. And it's really brought home to me just how incredible, how incredible the Jewish people are. How crazy in love I am with the Jewish people. And if my heart hadn't been broken, I'm not sure that light, I'm not sure that realization would have come in. I just conclude by sharing with you one final story. It's actually not a story of contemporary uh, example, but actually one of the great stories that so many of us have been drawing upon. It's a story from that dark, dark period of the Holocaust. And at least for me, many times over the last few weeks, I've been drawn to this particular story. It's in Yafa Eliach's classic work, Hasidic Tales of the Holocaust. And it's a story that includes, for those of you who are familiar, probably the star of that work, the Belushiva Rebbe. And in this particular story, there was a Polish free thinker, as he's described in the book, obviously very far from a Belushiva Chassid, who had befriended the Rebbe during their stay in whatever camp they were in. And at one point they were being told that they had to march. And they got to a certain place and there was a huge pit inside of which was already filled with many dead Jews. 
I believe the guards were Ukrainian in the story, if I remember correctly. And the guards told all the Jews assembled that they had to jump over the pit. If they could jump over the pit, they would be allowed to live. Otherwise, they would land in this mass of bodies and ta-ta-ta-tat. That's how Yafel writes it. The Ukrainian guard made a sound as if the machine gun, you'll join the people who are already in the pit. Obviously, almost nobody could jump over the pit. And certainly you wouldn't expect the Blue of Rebbe, who at the time was almost 60 years old, malnourished, swollen feet, weak, broken. And this Polish free thinker, his friend, says to him, Rabbi Spira, as he called him, there's no way we're going to make it. There's no point even jumping. To which point the Blue Rebbe says, listen, Hashem tells us, we have to turn our hashtadlas, we have to do what we can. The rest is up to him, but we have to jump. So they were standing two by two, they were next to each other. When it came their turn, he said, I closed my eyes, says the Blue Jew Rebbe, and we jumped. And the next moment, to my utter shock and disbelief, we were on the other side of the pit. The two of us, we made it. So this free thinker says to the Rebbe, I can't believe it! It's a miracle! Spiro, tell me, how did you do it? So the Blue Jew Rebbe responds to him and he says, I was holding on to Schus Ovos. I was holding on to my father, the Holy Tzaddik, my grandfather, the Holy Tzaddik, my great-grandfather, the Holy Tzaddik. Tell me, my friend, the Blue Jew Rebbe turns to this Polish freethinker, what were you holding on to? How did you make it to the other side? I was holding on to you, he said. To make it through something that we've been going through. To jump over the pit of death, destruction, of despair of what Am Yisrael has been through the last six weeks. The only way to make it through, the only way to jump over, is you have to hold on to something. What we've been hovering over over the last six weeks, no one could do that alone. And I could tell you, at least for me, I've made it through because I'm holding on to every one of you. I'm holding on to every Jew who I now realize I love more than I ever realized before. And I'm holding on to their coat as I jump over this endless pit of despair. And if we're going to make it, if all of us are going to make it, then we all need to hold on to each other. We all need to hold on to Abbas Yisrael. And we all need to be crazy in love with every single Jew. Thank you very much.